Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. We're entering into Advent in the Gospel of Luke today. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. That's on eight, page 856 in your pew Bible. And in uh, just a moment, too, I want to just point out the goodness of paper Bibles. Uh, you know, a lot of us have a Bible app and uh, that kind of thing on our phone. Um, but increasingly, I think we realize that the great enemy to spiritual formation, to knowing God, is not so much even sort of overt sin in our lives, but just distraction. And so um, sometimes having a paper Bible, whether it's here in service or at home, allows you to set aside your phone uh, and just to focus on the text that's in front of you. So if you don't have a paper Bible handy, you can take one of those home with you. And we'd love for you to have a copy of the scriptures uh, in print as well as uh, digitally. Well, here's God's word from Luke chapter 1. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown mercy with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servants, Israel, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, it's on? Okay, it's on. Sorry. For those who don't know me, my name is Henry Thompson, and I am one of the resident pastors at the downtown campus. But for the first 14 months of the residency, I was here at the Brookside campus. So I'm so excited to be back here today again. And I miss you all, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to preach the word of God to you all once again this morning. And I know y'all already want that y'all already know that you're supposed to say amen during my sermon, so I know that I don't even got to explain all that to y'all. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm so glad to be back and thankful to see all of you this morning. Uh, let us pray before we begin. Father, uh, thank you for your grace. Pray that you would uh, fill this place with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Pray that you would be exalted and glorified through the preaching of your word this morning, Lord, and that you would hide me at the foot of your cross, Lord, and that Uh, everyone here would be blessed uh, by your word this morning, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I didn't know what love was until I saw his cross covered with his blood. He came to save men and not to judge, even though I know that's what we deserve because we didn't worship God as the creator. Instead, we made idols to serve, but that just didn't work. So we were left empty, broken and hurt trapped underneath this curse of idolatry until Jesus became a curse up on that tree like Paul said in Galatians 3 and 13. Now I see how I was trying to do all these things to create my own righteousness and purity instead of trusting in the righteousness that Christ secured for me. And now I finally realize that I'm fully justified by his perfect life and sacrifice when he was crucified. 
because the wrath of God was fully satisfied. So now in Jesus is where I now reside and find the strength to fight sin day to day and turn from it and go the other way because the other day, yeah, the other day I was on the corner of hopelessness and self-salvation and he gave me grace. Yeah, he gave me grace. Yeah, my king died, but he also raised. So on him I put all my faith because I was dead at the bottom of the ocean of my sins and I needed help. Then Jesus swam in better than Michael Phelps. Just to give me life, he laid down himself. Just to give me life abundantly. Just to give you life abundantly. See, Jesus died to take our place so we could be accepted before God only by his grace. Now, I know some of you may be wondering what just happened. (laughs) Well, I performed one of my spoken word songs. In 2011, I was inspired to write this song because of God's amazing grace shown to me in the gospel. See, I wrote this song out of sheer joy because I was overwhelmed with the grace of God shown to me through Jesus. The one who lived the perfect life I could never live and died the death I deserved on the cross so I could be accepted before God as holy and righteous despite my sin and brokenness. See, I wrote this song because I was moved by God's grace in my life. And in our text this morning, we're going to look at a woman who was also moved to write a song because of God's grace in her life. We're going to see that Mary, Jesus' mother, was moved to sing a song because of God's incredible grace toward her and her people, the Israelites. This incredible song from Mary will show us how God's grace moves people. Now, today marks the beginning of the season of Advent, the time of the year when followers of Jesus re-enter the story of our past that shapes our present and brings hope to our future. And for Advent, we are beginning a new sermon series called The First Songs of Christmas. Now, we're not talking about the songs that crazy people have been singing since November 1st, uh, like Mariah's Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Um, You know who you are. (laughs) But this Advent season, we will see the story of Christ's birth through the songs that are sung and the opening chapters of Luke's gospel. This morning, we begin by hearing the song of Mary. And as we do, I want us to see that God's grace makes us sing. God's grace makes us sing. This is what we see through Mary's story this morning. See, when we encounter God's grace, we are moved and compelled by it. We can't help but respond when God pours out his grace upon us. And we will not only see that God's grace makes us sing. In addition, we will see three things that God's grace does to us when we encounter it. And first, we will see that God's grace shocks us. When we encounter God's grace, it will shock and confuse us. This is what we see in Mary's story. To see this truth, let's look at the beginning of our text this morning, starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. At the beginning of our text, we see that an angel by the name of Gabriel was sent by God to a city called Nazareth. Now, this is ironic because Nazareth was not a nice area. It was not like Johnson County or Brookside or Waldo. It's the kind of area people would avoid. In layman's terms, it was the other side of the track. It was considered insignificant and unimportant. But despite this reality, we see that God sent an angel to Nazareth to send a message to a young woman named Mary. And in this text, we see that Mary was a virgin about to marry a man named Joseph. Now, when the angel appears to Mary, he greets her by saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, this term, O favored one, used by the angel, refers to someone who has received God's grace and favor. So the angel greets Mary by basically saying, Hello, one who has received grace from God, the Lord is with you. The angel is basically letting Mary know that God's grace is on her life and that God is with her. And the text shows us how Mary responds to this greeting because it says, Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. See, Mary was troubled by the angel's announcement of God's grace and favor on her life. This word troubled is only used once in our New Testament in the original language. And this word basically means shocked or shaken. Now, it would have made sense for Mary to be shocked here because an angel of God has just appeared before her. But the text shows she is not shocked by the angel's presence, but by his words. It probably would not have made sense to Mary for someone to greet her by telling her she was favored by God. I mean, she was just a young Jewish woman who lived in an obscure town that people avoided. And she belonged to a people who were living under Roman oppression. So the best days of her people, the Israelites, seemed to be in the past. She was a young woman who probably had a low socioeconomic status. But the angel tells Mary she is favored by God. The angel tells her God's grace is on her life and that the Lord is with her, even though her circumstances said otherwise. The angel calls Mary a person who has received God's grace. This greeting rightfully confuses and shocks young Mary, and the angel knows this in our text. This is why he continues on in verse 30 of our text by saying, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. See, the angel knew Mary was confused and shocked by his greeting. So he once again tells her that God's grace and favor is on her life. Then he he informs Mary that she will bear a son and he will be called Jesus. He goes on to tell her that her son will be called the son of God, thus he will be divine. And the angel tells Mary that her son will establish an eternal kingdom that will be never ending, fulfilling the promise God made to King David earlier in our Bible. The angel basically lets Mary know that she will be the mother of the savior of the world, Jesus. 
Mary didn't deserve to be Jesus' mother, but God gave this great honor to her by his grace. This message should, would have been troubling and shocking to Mary. And this is what God's grace does in our lives when we encounter it. It, it troubles us and shocks us because we do not deserve God's favor. We don't deserve grace, but God has given it to us anyway, even though it doesn't make sense. Now, I remember one Christmas in elementary school, my parents really shocked me by playing a cruel trick on me. See, they convinced me that they didn't buy me any gifts for Christmas. See, every year leading up to Christmas, I would look around the house or in their cars to see if I could find my Christmas gifts before they wrapped them. But one particular year, I couldn't find any of my Christmas gifts. I looked in their closet, in their cars, and in the garage. Plus, there were no gifts under the Christmas tree. So I did not know where my gifts were at, and I started to worry. In order to figure out what was going on, I decided to spy on my parents by sitting on the steps of our home and listening to their conversation. My parents must have heard me because my mom said loudly, you think Henry's going to be mad that we didn't get him anything for Christmas? And my dad replied loudly, no, he shouldn't be mad because he doesn't need anything and he's been acting up in school anyway. (laughs) After I heard these earth-shattering words, I returned to my room and started crying. That's not me, though. That's, That's somebody else. I was completely convinced that my parents bought me nothing for Christmas. One reason my parents' trick worked on me was because they spoke the truth. I was a kind of a spoiled kid, and I didn't need anything for Christmas, and I had been acting up in school. See, I knew I wasn't deserving of any Christmas gifts, so on Christmas Eve, I cried myself to sleep, convinced I was going to have no gifts the next morning. The next morning, I woke up and went downstairs, and my mind was blown. I realized I was completely wrong. My parents got me every gift I asked for and some. And I was shocked. I know I didn't deserve those gifts. I knew my behavior didn't merit those extravagant gifts from my parents, but they gave them to me anyways. Thus, I was surprised and shocked by the gifts I was given that Christmas. In a higher and holier way, God's gift of grace and favor to us should shock us because we don't deserve it. We are sinful and broken people. We, don't, we didn't deserve to have Jesus come as our Savior. We don't deserve to be adopted as God's children through Jesus' death and resurrection. We don't deserve to be forgiven of all our sins. We don't deserve all the good gifts that God gives us on Christmas and throughout the whole year. We don't deserve his grace and favor, but he gives it to us anyway. This is why God's grace should shock us. And this is one reason why God's grace makes us sing, because we don't deserve it. Amen? Now, as we move back to our text this morning, we see that God's grace not only shocks us, it humbles us. See, God's grace humbles us. This is what we see through Mary's story in our text this morning. She responds humbly to God's grace and favor on her life. Let's look at verse 34 of our text this morning in Luke chapter 1. It reads, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, after the angel tells Mary she will give birth to the Savior of the world, Jesus, she has a question for the angel. She basically asks him how she will give birth to the Messiah because she is a virgin. And the angel responds that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon her and miraculously cause her to be pregnant with Jesus even though she is a virgin. Then the angel informs Mary that her barren cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And this information is significant because Elizabeth is giving birth to John the Baptist, the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah Jesus. And Elizabeth's pregnancy shows God's great power. This is why in verse 37, the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. This is how Mary knows that she can get pregnant even though she is a virgin. Nothing is impossible with God. See, the virgin birth is confusing to us as modern 21st century people. We have a secularized worldview that says God doesn't intervene in history in miraculous ways. We have a culture that tells us that all that exists is the material world. So Mary couldn't have possibly gotten supernaturally pregnant as a virgin. But our text tells us there's nothing impossible with God. See, if there is a God who spoke the universe into existence and created all living beings, including humans, then he would most certainly have the power to supernaturally make it so Mary could have a child as a virgin because there would be nothing impossible for a God with that kind of power. So the question we must ask ourselves is not if the virgin birth is possible, but we must ask ourselves, do we believe in the God of the Bible? Because our text shows us there's nothing impossible for that God. And in our text, we see that Mary does humbly believe that all things are possible with the God of the Bible. Because she humbly trusts the angel's words. When God's grace and favor is revealed to her through this angel, Mary humbly responds in faith. In verse 38, she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. When God's grace is revealed to Mary, she responds with humility. She calls herself a servant of the Lord. And she humbly trusts God's message that she would bear a child as a virgin, which is truly amazing. See, Mary's engagement with Joseph could have been broken through her pregnancy. She would have also possibly faced severe criticism from her community and family for getting pregnant out of wedlock. But despite this reality, she responds to God's grace and favor in her life with humility by calling herself God's servant. Thus, God's grace humbled her. And this is what God's grace should do to us. It should humble us and lead us to trust God's word. God's unmerited favor should lead us to respond to him with humble faith. Because God's wisdom and knowledge is greater than our own. We are fallen, fragmented, and finite creatures. Thus, God's grace humbles us. Because his grace shows us our need to depend on him and not trust in ourselves. And his grace shows us that we are ultimately created to humbly serve and glorify him. Now, a few weeks ago, 
I went to go see a movie called Harriet, starring Cynthia Erivo. And this film is about the historical figure Harriet Tubman, a former slave in the United States who garnered her freedom and became an abolitionist. And this film about her life showed me how deeply she was shaped by her faith as a Christian. This film clearly showed that God's grace was on Harriet's life. See, when she was a young woman, Harriet found out that her slave master in Maryland planned to sell her further south away from her family. So she decided to take the risk of running away, and by God's grace, she traveled over 100 miles by foot to gain her freedom from slavery in Philadelphia. But after a while of enjoying her own freedom, she decided to go back to the South to free her family. And people told her she was crazy. They told her she was a black woman with no education, so she couldn't lead a group of slaves to freedom. But despite her naysayers, she knew God's favor was on her life. So she went back to get her family, and she successfully brought them to freedom. Then she became a conductor on the Underground Railroad, a network that helped African slaves in the South escape to freedom in the North. She led 13 missions in the South, freeing over 70 slaves. In the movie, it's shown that they're actually trying to even look for Harriet and find her, but they can't find her because they're convinced that Harriet is a white man, when in reality, she's a black woman. And throughout the film, Harriet and other people refer to her as a servant of the Lord. See, God's grace and favor on Harriet's life led her to humbly serve the Lord by working to free her African brothers and sisters from bondage. See, God's grace on her life humbled her and showed her that she was ultimately a servant of the Lord. In light of this truth, Harriet used God's grace and favor on her life to help the disadvantaged. And this is what God's grace should do in our lives. God's grace on us should humble us. It should lead us to use God's grace and favor on our lives to serve others as God's servant. God's grace should humbly lead us to share our faith with those in our family, community, and workplace that don't know him. His grace should lead us to use the social, political, and economic power he has given us to care for the marginalized as his servant. See, God's grace and favor on our lives doesn't lead us to boast over others because we are right. Instead, it leads us to humbly glorify God by living to serve him. See, we know that we are not Christians because we are so good. Instead, we know we are followers of Jesus because God is so good. He's so good that he graciously saved us broken sinners through a sinless Savior, Jesus. This amazing grace in the gospel humbles us and leads us to use God's grace and favor to serve him. See, God's grace, when we encounter it, humbles us. Amen? Now, as we move back to our text, we see that God's grace doesn't just shock and humble us. We see at the end of our text this morning that God's grace moves us. At the end of our text this morning, we see that Mary was moved to sing a song. She was so moved by God's grace that she sang. And see, I think Mary might have been African-American because the church I grew up, people just broke out in song sometimes because of God's grace. You know, when they started talking about God's grace, church was going to be longer that day. Um, And for a little context on this song, at the end of verse 38 of our text, the angel that appeared to Mary departs. Then Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant. And, And Elizabeth is suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit at Mary's arrival. 
So she loudly says to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, something must have clicked in Mary through Elizabeth's words from the Holy Spirit. Mary must have been moved by the grace of God on her life to be the mother of Jesus, the eternal King and Savior, because after Elizabeth's words, she breaks out in song. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our forefathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever." First, Mary praises God in this song for being her savior and for remembering her in her low, humble position in society. Then she highlights the reality that people will call her blessed throughout all generations because she is the mother of the savior of the world, Jesus. After this, she states that her mighty God has done great things for her and she acknowledges God's holiness. Then she proclaims the truth that God shows mercy to people who fear and honor him. And she goes on to show that God has shown his strength by bringing down the powerful and mighty from their thrones and exalting those who are humble. Mary praises God for giving the hungry and poor good things while sending away the rich with nothing. She basically praises God for turning society upside down because her people, the Jews, are on the bottom of the totem pole during this time period. They are under Roman oppression. They are not at the center of power in their society. So she ends her song by praising God for remembering her people, the Israelites. She praises God for remembering the covenant he made with Abraham all the way back in Genesis. Mary knows God has shown incredible grace to her and her people by sending the promised Messiah, Jesus. So God's grace moves her to break out in song. I don't know about you, but there have been situations in my life where I have been, have been moved by God's grace. This is what God's grace does in our lives. It moves us to praise and glorify him for his incredible grace. And I was reminded of this truth through the life of a man named John Newton. John Newton was born in 1725. His father introduced him to sailing at a young age because he was a sea captain John followed in his father's footsteps. He eventually became a sea captain on slave ships. He participated in the Atlantic slave trade by kidnapping innocent West Africans for enslavement in British colonies. He was a crude and harsh captain who didn't know Jesus, but God's grace was on his life. This was clear because one day he was on a voyage home from West Africa, and there was a severe storm on the sea that nearly sank his ship. John thought he would die due to the severity of the storm, so he humbled himself and he cried out to God in prayer. After he prayed, 
The cargo in the ship miraculously shifted, covering a hole in the boat, and the ship made it safe to shore. John took this miraculous survival as a sign from the Almighty God, so he was moved to convert to Christianity after this event. God's grace moved him to turn to Jesus in faith. And God's grace eventually moved him to oppose the Atlantic slave trade that he supported for most of his life. In 1788, he wrote a popular pamphlet opposing the slave trade, but God's grace didn't just lead John to write a pamphlet opposing slavery. God's grace led him to write a song with these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. See, God's amazing grace led John Newton to write one of the most popular songs ever, Amazing Grace, because he was moved by God's grace in his life. And we should be moved by God's grace, too. We should be moved by the fact that God shows us grace daily by providing us with food, transportation, and financial resources. We should be moved by the fact that God shows us grace by forgiving us of our sins and giving us chance after chance. We should be moved by the fact that God saw us in our lowly estate as broken sinners and sent a Savior through a virgin named Mary. We should be moved by the fact that God shows us grace by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. God's amazing grace should move us to sing like it moved Mary. Amen? Mary was moved to sing in light of God's grace and favor on her life because she knew she didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve to be the mother of our eternal Savior, Jesus. But she was chosen to give birth to the giver of life himself. She was the one chosen to raise the child who himself would be raised from the dead. She was chosen to be the one who would heal the wounds of the Messiah whose wounds would heal us. She was the one chosen to have a child that she would have to give up so he could bear the weight of our sin to make us children of God. In light of that, how can we not see that God's grace makes us sing? Amen? Let us pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your incredible grace shown to us in the gospel, Lord. Pray that you would continue to draw us closer to you, Lord. Pray that you would uh, help us see how the depths of your grace toward us in the gospel and sending us a Savior, born of a virgin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.